Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks. You think some punk butt college kid could come up with this poop? It's Sif Pop. Welcome to Sif Pop Weekly, streaming live most Fridays or available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. Woo. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and he's a flawed, experimenting person seeking outings and adventures. It's Andrew Ormsby, ladies and gentlemen. That's going to go on my tombstone. That's the perfect <laughs> summary of me. Ahoy! Each week, we'll chat about movies, TV, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And please welcome our guest this week. Michael B. Jordan is circling to play him in the movie. It's Devon, ladies and gentlemen. Woo. You know what is so funny? Because I recently, I was, uh, I'm coming out of a beard era. And oh, uh-huh. whenever I whenever I went to take the beard off and go with a different configuration, Michael B. Jordan was literally what I like went for with the the mustache nice. chin soul <laughs> patch combo. So that is uh, I, I will take that comparison all day. That's one of the most handsome men in the world. Yeah, no doubt, no yeah. doubt. As are you, True. Devon. As are you. So there you go. Works out really, really well. Uh, We're excited to have you back. How have things been? It's been a hot minute. Like, what's going on in your world? Yeah, it has been a hot minute since my last night in Soho snafu. Uh, which was so funny because like I, I remember I'd like marathon like the whole Cornetto trilogy like the like night before and like work so I like uh-huh. literally just like made myself so sleepy <laughs> and then that's how I missed it um, so yeah it has been a minute but um, things are going pretty good um, uh, in year three going on year four of uh, Spectre Cinema Club that's my genre movie podcast and uh, we've been uh uh, 2023 was a great year for it. we had a lot of growth uh i host that with my buddy garrett mcdowell and uh so yeah so uh so that's uh going pretty well we just uh we're about to launch our patreon as well so uh you know so so big things going on over on the pod and uh and you know as far as uh la life and stuff you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm in the i'm in the coffee shops i'm typing on my laptop i'm doing uh you know the la screenwriter thing you know classic uh-huh. behavior uh and uh yeah you know i uh hopefully we'll have um uh, like a, a short film with like an actual budget uh, out by the end of the year, fingers crossed. Uh, so you know, trying to trying to make some moves. Very cool, very cool. I uh, I received an email from Devon uh, several months ago, and is like, you're not allowed to talk about poor things unless I'm on the show. Like this, this is <laughs> this is the rule that we're having over this award season. You're not allowed to do a podcast with poor things on it unless you invite me on the show. And I was like, that sounds amazing. I would love to love to have you on to talk poor things. So I had, here to, we I had to make sure to stake my claim early for this one because I was like, That's it's right. one of the most me movies ever. So I was like, I had to stake my claim early. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right. So we do have poor things on the agenda today. We also have American fiction on the agenda today. Excited to talk about that as well. And then for best ever challenge, we're going with Emma Stone movies, movies in which Emma Stone uh, appears in so we'll do that and of course some buried treasure and other fun stuff too so let's get to it we'll kick it off by talking about american fiction monk your books are good but they're not popular editors they want a black book they have a black book i'm black and it's my book you know what i mean look at what they published look at what they expect us to write i just want to rub their noses in it 
<laughs> I be standing outside in the night. Deadbeat dads, rappers, crack. You said you wanted black stuff. That's black, right? I see what you're doing. Thelonious Monk Ellison's writing career has stalled because his work isn't deemed black enough. Monk, a writer and English professor, writes a satirical novel, novel under a pseudonym aiming to expose the publishing world's hypocrisies. The book's immediate success forces him to get deeper enmeshed in his assumed identity and challenges his closely held worldviews. This description, much like the marketing material, trailers, all that kind of stuff, really doesn't touch on what this movie's about. It touches on kind of the canvas this movie is painted on, which I think is a, a really interesting thing. Um, and we'll get into it. Uh, great cast here. We're looking at a first-time writer-director in uh, in Cord. What did you guys think of American Fiction? Andrew, did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? I loved it. I loved it. Devon, did you like it, love it, hate it, or it was just okay? I would say I liked it. I liked All it. All right. Uh, I am firmly in the camp of loved it. I loved this movie so very much. I haven't stopped thinking about it. Um, I also have that thing that happens with me that I think in uh, in the effort to be completely transparent where uh, I got to see the movie and then immediately hang out with the, the people in the movie and talk to them about the movie. And that always has a little bit of a shine to it. So I really have to get, you know, several months down the road from that to... Uh, to watch a movie again and kind of parse through feelings that aren't affected by, oh, these people are so cool. You know, like there's there's that element to it as well. And it was incredible. It was probably one of the best press conferences I've been to. Uh, Sterling K. Brown was there. Jeffrey Wright was there. Issa Rae was there. Um, Erica Alexander was there. Tracy Ellis Ross was there. Adam Brody was there. It was pretty much the, the whole crew. So uh, that was a blast. Um, Andrew, why don't you kick us off with some thoughts on American fiction? Got to talk about performances up front. Uh, everybody's going to be talking about Jeffrey Wright, but honestly, Sterling K. Brown stole this movie for me. I think that he is giving a just tour de force, definitely a career highlight in my opinion. Um, so many layers to that character. And he, despite some elements like the, He's going through a lot in his life, but he, there are still moments where he can find levity and, you know, put a smile on his face. It's a very, like I said, it's a very layered character, and I really appreciated the the writing around that. So I guess Core Jefferson, the writer, gets a and director gets a big uh, thumbs up from me there as well. Yeah, I, I really love the cast in this. I think everybody's doing a great job. I think if I were to sum up the reason I love this movie so much, it's probably in that it is a meta movie. That doesn't let the meta-ness, uh, it really almost doesn't let it out of the room. Like it just kind of, it, 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 it just kind of marinates in what it's saying about the idea of black media or the idea of what it means to be, you know, black media. Is it uh, gangs and drugs and slavery or can there just be black stories that don't involve those things? And the movie uh, is a black story that involves those things that doesn't involve those things right at its heart this is mm -hmm. a movie uh about uh, a black man who you know isn't in a gang or selling drugs or you know directly enslaved you know it's 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 a movie itself about the thing it's saying media um or it's questioning at least what media should do and i think that meta-ness really uh, hit with me and stayed with me because i think it's a really interesting nuance and balance 
for us to continue to consider when it comes to race in America in this idea of continuing to reckon with the past, uh, continuing to understand that it's not solved, that it's there's, you know, that it's still something that's really important to pay attention to and identify. And also yet at the same time, the end goal is that we treat each other as just human beings and not as black human beings or white human beings or, you know, uh, Latino human beings or whatever the case may be. Um, so finding the nuance and balance in that is a really interesting process. And this movie, I think, uh, comes out at a time where it's, uh, where it's having something to say to shift that conversation into a, a mm -hmm. deeper level. So, yeah. um, I, yeah, I'm, I mean, that's kind of what sucked me in as well, because uh, you mentioned like kind of how like the difference in the description is really just kind of the backdrop for it. And I was actually like very happy that it wasn't leaning as hard into the the premise and concept. Uh, I was like, oh, I don't really need this, you know, the mistaken identity shenanigans. I mean, it like kind of uh, similar vibes of uh, that Melissa McCarthy movie from a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of kind of gives off vibes of that, so I so I was very happy that it was more focused on uh, the people in this uh, in this film, you know, and kind of making the statement about you know separating creative identity from you know the person themselves and like that people are more than just the stories that they tell and so so i related like pretty hard to monk's character uh in a way that like you know a lot of projects that i do personally like i always kind of have that uh debate i'm like oh like do i you know have to whenever i'm you know promoting something do i have to promote that like oh this is by a black queer you know creative mm -hmm. artists like right sometimes i don't feel the need for that like you know my genre you know podcast show like i don't you know put it like in the in my like description like oh hosted by you know queer bipoc person i'm like no this is my genre podcast and you know i'm presenting it as just me as a person uh so so i very much like you know felt with monk's plight especially like the you know line where he's just like i'm black and it's my book so it's a black book you know it, it doesn't have to <laughs> yeah. you know like I, I so i really uh, uh was endeared to you know kind of just watching these people that are you know like they don't have the worst lives but they also and you know they're actually like kind of well off like you know compared to most other you know when you you know watch a story about the 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 uh the underdog you know um you know coming from poverty characters and it's like they're not these people people but yet they still have you know regular human issues that people deal with you know whether it be insecurities or grief and trauma and death you know like these things still exist for these people uh regardless of the background so like i was very i was happy with how rich it was character wise but i would say the thing that kept me from loving it is the kind of lack of bite from the meta commentary. Uh, mm. Not that it needed to like kind of make a, you know, like a, you know, a biting controversial, you know, statement like this isn't, you know, boots Riley, sorry to bother you. You know, this is, you know, coming right. at from a different angle, but I still could have taken a little bit more uh, from, from the bite. So that way monk could kind of have a little bit more of a emotional catharsis by the finale uh, the third act is kind of where things went pretty wobbly for me but but overall this is still a very like solid film with you know great performances across the board i think i i think i understand what you're saying about the third act and my guess is that it's a very conscious decision uh by uh cord to not end the movie with a big mo like 
in, in fact, the movie pulls the rug out from under yeah. you in <laughs> yeah. some ways. It, it, it kind of it kind of gives you that big ending and then goes, no, this isn't what I'm interested in, right? Like it goes, here's here's how a movie like this might end, and that's not what we're doing here. And so it does kind of feel a little um, anticlimactic in some ways. Um, but I, I kind of liked that. I kind of liked that it was a little bit different, and it was like, no, we're just we're just leaving it here. Yeah. Um, Andrew, some more thoughts. I like how this movie is not afraid to talk about all different forms of racism that a, a monk finds himself in. Uh, like, uh, like I'm trying to think of a section. Like, I'm though. Whenever he's in, this isn't spoilerish, people. So, whenever he's in the judging panel, yeah. and there's mm-hmm. these other groups of judges with him. And it's the Jeffrey Wright and the Issa Rae character saying, I don't think we should really have this uh, book in in the uh, contest. And the other judges are like, yeah, we should, because now is the time to listen to black authors. <laughs> it's one of the and best moments in the be movie. Fa- it might be my favorite moment of the entire movie. <laughs> it's great editing, but too, because they, like, split it, it really like, down is. the, like, table, too, and, like, kind of have them, like, you know, like, pitted yes. on each mm-hmm. sides, too. Like, it's, like, yeah, very well-written, edited scene, like, overall, like, you know, like, putting kind of the, the stamp on, like, kind of the main statement, you know, behind uh, some of the themes that they're working with. Yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting but to. It reminds me, oh, go oh, ahead, Andrew. Sorry. Go ahead. I was say it reminds me of Get Out, mm-hmm, exactly. sort of in that sense. Yeah, <laughs> where you for so long you see what could be generically called right wing racism mm-hmm. portrayed in film, and it's not often that you see the uh, the overcorrection of that <laughs> still being kind of racist in its own way. Uh, it's a I think that movies like Get Out and like American Fiction uh, show me where I have made mistakes in my life mm-hmm. and things that I can try and do better. So, yeah, yeah that's the, what I really appreciate about this movie. These movies have brought attention to what I call casual racism. Uh, these are like the things that people are doing that they most likely don't even know that they're doing. But because mm-hmm. you can just tell that it's just something that they've learned or, you know, the way that they came up in a certain way, like whenever um they're having like the first uh, the phone call chat with with a stag, quote unquote, and, you know, Jeffrey Wright, like does his normal voice and like doesn't do it, quote unquote, black enough. And then she was like, mm-hmm. oh, wait, no. OK, now that sounds like you. OK, like, you know, because of what she imagined this character right. uh, to sound like, you know, so like even moments like that, because I've had, like that was like something that I would get like all through uh, school. You know, people would be like, oh, you, you you talk so white. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. You know, I'm black <laughs> and the way that I'm talking makes me that doesn't make sense. You know, like, right. Uh, right. Uh, uh, you know, voices don't have race, you know, like uh, that's not how it works. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so again, like that was like kind of another thing that I like really related to like in, you know, just seeing these like little moments and the way that the film like does highlight them, like, uh, you know, almost like with, with a smidge of camp, I wouldn't call this movie camp, but there's uh, with the way that they kind of amplified those like little small, moments to like really draw the attention to like hey this is like something that is normal but also like not and it's not cool <laughs> yeah i i i know it comes from uh uh you know it really 
honest place for Cord and Jeffrey Wright has also talked about how this character he had to play this character because it felt so real to his life and that he's dealt with a, a, a lot of these things. And Court has told stories of a friend of his who's getting into the business and wants to write and had a meeting with executives. And they were like, so what are you interested in writing? And she was like, uh, I love rom-coms and I love horror. Like I love, those are, my, those are kind of the two things I'm really connected to and that. And so they finished the meeting and then she gets a call from the executives in this meeting. Hey, we've got this great project for you. It's about a blind slave who learns to play the piano and and it's back in slavery and she's just like what is what did is that a rom-com is that a horror like what is what is going on right now and he just tells these stories of time and time again where it's just like you know being pigeonholed by your race or ethnicity or whatever the case may be uh just because you know that's hollywood just has those ideas of you know what what those movies are going to be and and uh, it's just, it's it's wild. And I think a, a movie like this, like you said, Andrew, draws attention to the fact that as much as the, uh, the obvious ugliness of the racism of a certain portion of this country is that there is this subtle racism that can happen when you are against racism, but you're still not listening. Right. Like, you know, like you you think you're one of the good guys, but you're still not listening. And I think all of us uh, who are in a place of, you know, uh, not having to deal with that, having the privilege of not having to to deal with those things, just have to continue to listen and keep our ears open and and make sure that we're we're checking ourselves. So, yeah, Yeah, and the the two movies that we're talking about today, like kind of are both sides of um, of an interesting topic around film these days is like who should be telling what type of stories. Uh, you know, and like this is like this film is like an interesting one that is like this is important because this is a black director telling a very, you know, black centric story uh, versus mm-hmm. you can also still have movies where it's like, you know, uh, you know, a man telling a female coming of age story. But it's still important, you know, to also get the other side of the perspective. So it's like, there, there, and again, like it comes down to like, you kind of almost have this pressure sometimes when you're creating something. And if I'm writing something, I'm like, do I need to have some sort of, you know, uh, you know, text, you know, to illustrate like my, you know, very specific point of view? Do I need to put that in something or can I just tell these regular stories the way that you know monk kind of wants to and Issa ray's character is fascinating because she's kind of like trying to she's like kind of playing both sides in a in an interesting way of like mm-hmm. oh I'm, yeah. I'm you know like i'm still providing because i am a black author and i'm still putting stories out and that's important and if i have to you know do it in this way to get it out there then you know then so be it you know and she kind of uh you know the the little you know conversation that between monk and her um is really fantastic and in, in the way that they kind of uh you know give a whole kind of roundabout you know a uh, view of you know this this kind of issue and the way to kind of tackle it and you know what stories should be told versus like you know which stories can be told uh is very fascinating Mm-hmm. Tell you what I love about that conversation between uh, Jeffrey Wright and Issa Rae's character is they're both right and they're both wrong. You know, it's it's just a beautiful yeah. conversation, this moral quandary, and they're they're both they're not 
I wouldn't say I, I would say Jeffrey is more adamant about his moral uh, uh, conflicts with doing, you know, uh, 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 stories like like what she's talking about. But I think that the way that she, you know, describes, hey, these are still stories that can and should be told, even though they're not authentic to me. That doesn't take away from anything that there's the stories are. Uh, giving to people and I don't know there was just something really powerful like I just love that neither of them in the end neither of them came out on top or on bottom it was just a good conversation between the two of them yeah I agree I also like how all of the characters are challenged on their beliefs too which is part Mm -hmm. of the nuance and beauty of this movie uh, and I think, uh, again, one of the reasons I, I connect to movies like this is the ability for the movie to go, there There are truths here that we're still exploring and trying to figure out, like, you know, the nuance of these things. For I'll just give you a for instance of, you know, the characters being, uh, you know, kind of challenged on their own beliefs. There's, there's a very poignant moment where uh, the Jeffrey Wright uh, character were Monk. Uh, says something about like, um, you know, I don't live in that world. I don't face that kind of racism today or something like that immediately before a cab passes him by to pick up a white guy. <laughs> like there's like there's a very specific, you know, kind of thing the movie is doing where it's like, OK, sure. Yeah, it's not the same, but it's kind of the same. Like, you know what I mean? So it like challenges its characters uh, on their worldviews and on what the things that they're saying in a very interesting way, which I which I really, really love. Yeah, Monk, it's Monk goes for satire. St- oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say uh, that that Monk goes through like an interesting, you know, arc of you know he because like you said, like when they have that conversation, nobody's right or wrong, but he is so dependent on being right. Like that's kind of a, a running thing throughout mm-hmm. his uh, throughout the movie. Which again, I can also relate to because people call me a know it all quite often because apparently, <laughs> yeah. So so like I get so I get like you know when he wants you know something to be definitive while the movie uh, is kind of saying like a lot of things can be true at once and kind of, you know, there can be layers and circumstances, you know, you know, you know, via what background you come from, but it's still kind of, like you said, like it's still, you're still dealing with it, you know? So, uh, it, it, things can all, you know, multiple things can be true. And that's like one thing that Monk just like really can't get past uh, through most of the movie, uh, which mm-hmm. is a, a, a great, like kind of flaw for his character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts that you guys have uh, on this movie? Other stuff that you uh, that you want to get to uh, as we talk about American fiction? Uh, no, I, 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 I think uh, I think this was a very solid film. It's very funny, uh, like consistently uh, good chuckles uh, throughout. Uh, also, looks really good. Uh, there's uh, some, you know, it's not over stylish but it's a very still like very nice looking well put together film uh, the score uh, the different score beats are uh, fantastic in this as well i agree it does seem like uh technically it's it's pretty great all around um and probably one of the reasons that it's getting a lot of awards attention is because it is is so solidly done all around. I'm really excited, uh, and I guess this will be my my one last thing, but I'm really excited to see what Cord does next. Uh, I did get a chance to ask him about that. He is really pumped about it, doing a modern Western, um, and he'd like to do something in like the hell or high water 
kind of idea with like brothers who uh, are on the run uh, in the West. He's got an idea that he's been, uh, you know, bubbling around in his head. And it's a great example of this is a story that doesn't have to be, quote unquote, a black story. It's just a story that he wants to tell and he's excited to to do it. And hopefully, uh, you know, this movie's success will allow him the freedom to really tell the stories that he's excited to create. So, um, so yeah, I'm excited to see that. Uh, yes, please. You, you just <laughs> said a whole bunch of great things in that, like, he wants to do a modern Western. Well, Watchmen, there were a couple of episodes of Watchmen that kind of reminded me of a Western. So I think that mm-hmm. he could do it. Oh, that's, oh, we haven't mentioned that about Court, Court Jefferson. He's been... stuff. Yeah, he's he's done so much on t- a TV oh. stuff. And he was a big part of, Watch, of Lindelof's Watchmen. Um, I can see and, that. I, I can yes. totally see that now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he is just kind of making the, the leap into, to film and doing it in a big way and, uh, excited to see, uh, where that lands him, uh, as we go down the road, but I really enjoyed the movie and I hope to see more. Um, so that is American fiction. I think that would be a recommend from all of us. Um, it is still oh, playing yeah. in theaters. I think it's supposed to go wider here next week. So, uh, it, it should, it, my screening was super funny because this is the, uh, this is the perfect, uh, take your grandparents to go see this. Like I saw it almost everyone that was in the theater was like a teen or somebody in like their like early twenties with their like grandparent. It was, uh, it was kind of nice. (laughs) Yeah. So this is that wholesome movie for that experience. There you go. Speaking of wholesome movies, uh, let's move on to some Yorgos Lanthimos. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about poor things. No, she's an experiment. Good evening. Her brain and her body are not quite synchronized. But she's progressing at an accelerated pace. Tell me, where did she come from? I shall. For it is a happy tale. I am Bella Baxter, and there is a world to enjoy, circumnavigate. It is the goal of all to progress, grow. A woman plotting her course to freedom. Brought back to life by an unorthodox scientist, a young woman runs off with a lawyer on a whirlwind adventure across the continents. Free from the prejudices of her time, she grows steadfast in her purpose to stand for equality and liberation. Well, that's one way to sum up this movie. Uh, We are looking at Yorgos Lanthimos' latest film, Poor Things. This, of course, is uh, Emma Stone leading the way in this, Mark Ruffalo as well. Um, what did you guys think about this movie? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Devon, you first. Oh, I loved this movie. I, I knew I would from the minute it was announced and then everything I saw. Um, I'm a big Lanthimos guy. I think he has one of the best track records of any working director at the moment. And uh, we are just like, this is one of those movies that just like made me feel lucky to like be like i'm just glad that we live in a world where we get cinema like this uh you Mm. know just something very you know beautiful and you know text uh rich with texture and exploring all these ideas and just exploring beauty and the disgustingness of life and uh and you know the the frankenstein story is a, a story the story that keeps on giving you know um i'm do another podcast and we're covering like the universal Frankenstein movies. And it's uh, interesting just how malleable that story is. And, um, you know, this, this movie is doing just so much in 
It is uh, Yorgos Lanthimos just untethered and Emma Stone just giving one of those electric performances of a lifetime. Like, you know, like there, I can't think of another character uh, as, you know, distinct uh, as, uh, as Bella Baxter. Uh, Andrew, did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Well, first time I saw it, I thought it was okay. The second time I saw it, I liked it. And now I'm going to say that I really like this movie, close to loving it. All right. I'm going to go with just really liked it. Growing on you over time uh, at the really liked it. Uh, I am at the absolutely loved it uh, portion of the spectrum. Um, And I will say, before we continue going to discussing this movie, that is not, I am not a Yorgos guy. Like, that is not something that I have usually... uh come in line with the favorite was fine i didn't you know i didn't hate the favorite um i i got what it was doing and enjoyed uh parts of it um everything else was just kind of like the lobster right that's his yeah i didn't quite jive (laughs) with the lobster i couldn't quite get there um one of his movies is among the worst movies ever made in my opinion uh and i it's so bad i've put the title out of my mind something about the killing, killing of, the of deer. deers oh, that are sacred goodness. or something uh just an absolute atrocity that of a film <laughs> that's that's my that's my favorite lanthimos i mean killing of a sacred deer i love showing that movie to people god yeah. it's so good yeah it's a it, yeah that one polarized me uh pretty hard i uh i did not like that at all um so it's interesting for me to watch yorgus movie and just go you know unabashedly love it like this and i think it's for me probably the main reason is because i think more than any other of his movies he is finding real purpose in his uh tendencies to explore the the things unexplored of humanity like the some would say depravity the idea of uh you know those 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 things that we don't often bring to the light and i think he is uh doing that in a way here that feels so much more purposeful to me than i've seen him do before and the and also that i resonate with i resonate kind of with what he's saying about what it means to be human and in those kind of things so uh, add to that, like you mentioned, an Emma Stone performance that is just absolutely mind blowing, um, and I, I come away from from uh, liking this quite a bit. Uh, Devon, what are some other things you you really enjoyed about it? I mean, just it's such a I I, I love a um, you know a kind of odyssey of a movie like. You know, uh, there's a lot of debate online about film length these days and like, you know, what's necessary and like, could you cut, you know, 15, 20 minutes out of this movie? Probably you could, but I don't want that. Like, this is a movie that I am just like so nice to be able to sit in this world like these characters are so fully realized in the the costuming and the colors and the way that everything looks like so like this is a movie that i have no issue like just seeping in for two and a half hours because i just like enjoy being in the world and i'm also a um a uh i've come around to really liking films of the subgenre of you know exploring you know the kind of the human condition in these kind of accelerated ways with the with the genre twist of it of you know her you know primitive mind growing into an already adult body and like the way that that kind of works um uh you won't be alone uh is a film from um uh last year uh that i really love that kind of also does a you know woman learning about the world uh through these kind of uh extreme circumstances 
And so, so just like the way how fully realized this world is that allows, you know, Bella to kind of go on this journey and absorb information, you know, through not only different settings, but then also the different people, uh, the different men that she interacts with specifically, um, it, you know, so the, so just the, the, the world that this, um, you know, uh, you know, painted is just, it, it's just, there's just so much to go into, you know, and I, you know, went back for a second time as well. And I'm probably going to go back for a third time before it leaves the theaters just because it's, you know, I just like being in there and like being able to uh, craft a, a film like that, I think is uh, such an impressive feat. And all of his films kind of seem like they take place in like their own like little worlds. But again, I don't think he has done anything as just fully realized as uh, as this one. Andrew, some thoughts? Yeah, you guys totally took the words out of my mouth whenever you're talking about how this movie deals with what it means to be human. Uh, you know, a, a quick you know, vignette of uh, from birth to, you know, old age of what, you know, a human goes through. It's absolutely fascinating mentally what a human goes through. Um, You guys, yeah. The one thing that I would add is congratulations to Mark Ruffalo (laughs) for creating one of my favorite villains ever. He's so amazing in this. Duncan Wedderburn might go down as like one of my favorite villains in recent years. Um, I, there are scenes where I think he is absolutely hilarious and I love him to death. And then there are scenes where I think he is just evil incarnate. And the fact that he can pull off both and it feels like the same character, it doesn't feel like, you know, this strange dichotomy that I can't follow. I'm like, no, that doesn't feel like, that was what the Duncan Wedderburn in the last scene would do. He's just that ranged and that expressive of an individual that you buy into all of his manicness. He's so good. He's so good. My crowd literally was laughing at every single line of dialogue he had. Like just every time he spoke, the crowd was laughing and, and he's, he's just so great. There's, um, uh, I saw an article talking about how 2023 was a great year for uh, performances of pathetic men. And uh, I know uh, Charles Melton might end up getting like maybe the, the supporting actor now, but I'm rooting for Ruffalo. And if he does not get the Oscar, he does get my award for best, most pathetic man of 2023 because he is just a hot mess. And he's so fun in this movie. Well, let's see. I mean, we're it's, doing Oscar predictions. I think it's going to Robert Downey Jr. I was going to say, it's but, a uh, crazy stacked category, supporting actor. But, I hope not. Know. I hope not. <laughs> Melton or Ruffalo uh, or bust. There you go. Um, I, I also wanted to say that the, um, the clarity with which Yorgos deals with sexuality and different parts of the human experience, the, uh, the idea of being so i want to say explicit we're not talking about you know hardcore porn here or anything but to be explicit enough that we are watching a movie where that almost becomes less titillating right there's an idea that he's pushing it so far that it's like you become less distracted by the fact that there's sex or nudity or those kind of things and more aware that this is just a part of human existence. And I think there's something to be yeah. said for that idea. And um, because I've had conversations with other critics, with friends, like 
you know, why did, you know, why did there have to be so much sex? Why did there have to be so much nudity? I do think it's purposeful. I do think it plays a role in what he's trying to teach us and where he's trying to lead us with the, the, uh, all the furious jumping. Um, so like there's, there's, there's something purposeful <laughs> going on here and, um, you know, it is, it is Frankenstein with an emphasis on, you know, being Frank. I think. I mean, I think it's, he uses it's the nudity and sexuality to tell two different stories. Like he tells it from, you know, the uh, the pubescent era. Whenever you know that's all that's on your mind is sex, sex, sex. Well, but, but then what's there's also. I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt just a second because what's interesting is you're dealing with a character who is born post pubescence. So we're getting to see like childhood, adolescence, and adulthood in somebody yeah. who is born post body changes, hormone changes, those kind of things, which I think really gives yeah. us an interesting perspective on, you know, on that thing. Um, so, yeah, continue. Sorry, I wanted yeah. to mention that. No, 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 you're absolutely right. And that should be mentioned. But uh, they can tell that story whenever you're going, whenever you're going through that phase. But then there's also the, the matured element to it when love is introduced. And I think it's actually... Not not the love being introduced, but there's a scene in this movie that really sticks with me, and I think it might be my favorite scene in the entire movie, is where she is in bed with an individual, and she says, before we do this, how about you tell me a secret about yourself, and I'll tell you a joke. And it leads to something that was going to be a hundred, is a hundred more times beautiful than what it would have been if it was just you know, physical, mm -hmm. you know, it's, that's the kind of stuff that I would like to see more of in a Yorgos, uh, Lanthimos film, because I think that out of all of his films, this one is probably the most digestible. If you can, if you're an individual who can get past, you know, the profanity and the nudity and stuff, stuff, and actually focus on like what the movie is trying to say. Um, I think that this is probably, cause I think you can, get metaphors and stuff from lobster or the killing of a sacred deer. And you can, you know, there's a lot to unpack there, but I think there's a lot of on the surface or easy to digest stuff in this movie. I mean, yeah. I, I think this film is like kind of a, it's an amalgamation of a lot of themes that Yorgos has been dealing with. I mean, all of his films are pretty horny for the most part. Uh, they all have, you know, some sort of, you know, interesting, shocking, uh, you know, sexual nature, you know, seen to them at some point. You know, Dogtooth has it, Killing of a Sacred Deer has it, um, and The Favorite as well. And it's, you know, he's exploring that like sex is just a part of life. Like it and always has been. Like it's, you know, the only reason we're all still around you know <laughs> because of sex you know and like so it's you know it's so interesting and seeing all this discourse about you know uh how much uh sex and nudity is necessary in films and it's just like it's it's just a part of life like what are we gonna walk around and act like we got nothing under our clothes like that that's just everybody you know it's so universal so uh, the way that he does use it to also, like uh, Andrew was pointing out, to like you learn about you know characters in different ways through their you know sexual proclivities, just the way you would of uh, you know you learn about somebody through their taste in food, you know like there's you know there's just different ways to kind of go about that and the the you know film isn't doesn't have all this like sex scenes to make you to want you to feel uncomfortable. It just wants you to just be like to be like hey like this is normal let's act like it's normal you know uh and the, and you can still 
want to seek out pleasure, you know, in different ways, uh, as much as, you know, like seeking out pleasure is just as important as seeking out knowledge to Bella, uh, which is a a very fascinating and, you know, like, uh, optimistic, you know, way to look at life of, you know, being able to kind of, uh, live a life without, you know, judgment, you know, if you are truly able to, you know, do the things that you want, you know, and Bella is that for us, you know, she gets to live, uninhibited and she says what she needs to say and she does what she needs to do uh and it's beautiful yeah there's a there's a able to uh there's an exploration that is available to exploring uh through the character the idea of how repression shame all these things change our views and because this is a creature who was invented and didn't go through the normal growth pattern of most of us and have that stuff, uh, you know, taught to us as we were growing up and we, and we absorbed it. Um, this person gets to experience it on a more, uh, practical level, right? Like they get to see things as more on a, um, a direct understanding rather than having to, you know, learn about these things as they're learning, you know, um, everything that it means to be a child. So it, it, it allows for that frankness, that, that directness and, um, and some really interesting things. Um, any movie with a character whose, uh, character name is leg humping guy, uh, you know, is, is, uh, is, is trying to do some things. So, so there you this, go. This I movie sh- has some of the best should- names in film, like period. There's so <laughs> many ridiculous names across this film and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I should mention the reason why I was kind of like iffy on it the first time around is because I thought I was watching a different movie. I was expecting something else. Mm. So when I got halfway through, I was expecting more of like a reenactment of Frankenstein. And I was like, oh, that's not the movie. And I should have known because it's Yorgos. You know, I should have known that there'd be something a lot more to it. But, you know... You go into a movie with a certain, you know, mindset or expectation, and it might take you a while to switch gears and get back on track. So that's the only reason why the first time around it really didn't mm. sit with me the best. But I have I've I've learned the error of my ways. There is a I think pretty soon there's a uh, another female Frankenstein movie coming Lisa out. Lisa Frankenstein, yep. yeah, written yep. by uh, Diablo that's Cody. What it was. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Something in yeah. the air. Well, and we just uh, on a on a different podcast when we recorded on uh, the original Frankenstein, like we kept mentioning poor things and like talking about like this movie is if if the monster you know got to leave the the castle and experience life, you know that's what this movie is. So it's like it takes that like general thing and then just like completely uh, uh, runs away with it for for the rest of the movie and 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 does it in just like you know such interesting ways. Like I love the different settings and. Uh, I know the the dance scene has kind of been memed a lot on on Twitter and posted a lot out of context and stuff. But even that scene itself uh, is, you know, it's this very fun, ridiculous scene. But within it, you also see a lot of the uh, themes that they're illustrating as, you know, Duncan keeps like wanting to dance with Bella when she wants to dance by herself. And then like mm-hmm. he's uh, trying to lead, but she also wants to lead. And he's like, you know, so like even in these scenes where it's, you know, something, you know, just extra whimsical for the sake of whimsy there is still you know uh work being done to you know you know further cement the themes that are going on and uh i think yorgos is you know really fantastic at doing that throughout this film yeah 
I agree. Uh, let's do one last thing. Any final thing from uh, poor things that you guys want to mention before we move on? No post courtesy. It's <laughs> true. Uh, great credits though uh the the credits were gorgeous um mm -hmm. i have to shout out Willem defoe because uh he's so fantastic i feel like nobody talks about his performance in this just because we're so used to him being amazing um but he also gives like yet another like you know one of his best career performances in my opinion and um and speaking of the credits um my theater going experience for the first time seeing this one was uh, really gorgeous saw it at like 10 30 at night but it was like packed to the brim and almost every single person stayed in their seats through the entire credits and were like talking with the the people that they just watched mm -hmm. it with and like so yeah. like just watching the credits and like you know with uh with the music and then just like kind of hearing all the chatter of uh people's different opinions was just like i was just like man movies are cool yeah i agree uh i would say for my one last thing i'll shout out rami yusuf uh who is uh has a great television show if you've never seen it uh called rami uh but is also playing the character in this movie that i most identified with you know kind of that naivete that uh you know person uh that's uh just trying to make their way and uh and i think adds a real needed um you know kind of observer to you know things that are that are going on um so. he's easily the most grounded character yeah i mean yes yes as as far as how we would expect humanity to look um yeah that is yeah. that is true um okay so there you go that is poor things uh you can check that out in theaters i think we would all recommend it um and uh and yeah with you know with caveats of watch or know thyself you know um we talked yeah. about all the stuff that's in it so there you go uh all right let's move on to the best ever challenge but before we do thank you to our sif pop members we do appreciate you um if you are a member we have bonus shows that go on in the membership feed some other fun stuff you can check it all out at patreon patreon.com slash sift pop uh, we appreciate you doing that, and we appreciate you uh, throwing a couple bucks our way every month. Uh, that helps us to keep doing this podcast as well as keep doing the website. Uh, and if you haven't checked out sifpop.com, uh, lots of fun reviews there and conversations there as well, including uh, some best ever challenges that happen there too. So thank you for being a Sifpop member. And if you aren't, you can be at patreon.com slash sifpop. All right, let's move on to the best ever challenge. Emma Stone films, best ever movies that Emma Stone has been in. We will go number five to number one. And if you have it higher than somebody else, we will. Trump. We will trump it. Uh, we'll start. Let's start with you, Devon. What do you got at number five? At number five, um, I did these kind of differently because it's like, is, am I doing the best Emma Stone performance in a movie? Or am I doing the best Emma Stone movie? Uh, so they kind of vary on my choices. So number five is um, The Amazing Spider-Man. First one. Um, does anybody Trump. have that on there? Yeah, that one oh. has been trumped. Uh, Andrew, what's your number five? Well, I know this one's going to get trumped. It's one of your favorite movies of all times. So get ready. Easy A. Trump. All right. I'm the only one that gets to talk on this show. Uh, <laughs> my my number five, although this might get trumped. I don't know. My mom, number five is pop star. Never stop. Never stopping. Oh. Uh, that is uh, one of the funniest comedies in the history of film. I love it so much. It makes me laugh very, very much. Emma Stone, of course, uh, played an artist whose song Turn Up the Beef 
was uh, where Connor for real kind of made his debut during his, doing his catchphrase verse. Uh, if you remember that uh, in the movie where he just spouted a bunch of possible catchphrases uh, for the breakdown uh, bridge verse. So, yeah. I only remember the song Finest Girl because it's one of the funniest <laughs> songs I've ever heard in my entire life. You don't remember Bin Laden? All right. We can talk about pop star. Uh, some, some no, that's time. that's the song, Finest Girl. Oh, is, that's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. That is that is uh, what that song is called. Anyways, I love pop star, yeah. Never Stop, Never Stopping, and uh, Emma isn't in it a ton, but she is in it, therefore it makes my She's list at number five. Uh, She's not even credited. That's what's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number fours. Uh, let's see if you guys uh, can actually uh, say something this time. Devon, what do you got at number four? I have the favorite at number four. Oh, I yeah. think you can talk about the favorite. Right. Another uh, Yorgos film. Uh, another Yorgos film. Um, I hope that they keep making films together um, in you know, this was just a performance where I just, you know, like I always knew that Emma Stone has had the sauce. We all knew it, but like we didn't know that she had that angle to her uh, in that performance that she does in the favorite um, where she is just having wicked mischievous fun. Um, and I absolutely love her in it. Yep. I agree. I think she's really great in the favorite and she does kind of show a different different part of her acting uh, ability in that movie that she hadn't yet. I think that's a, a really good observation. Um, so yeah, there's your number four. Andrew, what is your number four? 2020 was one of the worst years in human history, <laughs> but one shining bright thing came out and that was the crudes, a new age. Mm, I, I had the, everybody. Th- I had the original crudes in my honorable mentions. Uh, I think that's mm. a, a decent movie, but the I didn't think the sequel was all that great. But go ahead, talk about it. Honestly, it might be the one of the funniest animated movies I've ever seen. <laughs> I was crying. I was laughing so hard. It, it's, it was one of those weird, like I knew everybody was looking at me because. A, we were reviewing it that week, uh-huh. so it's just me in the theater, uh, a 37-year-old, or I guess 34-year-old guy at the time, sitting by himself in an animated kids movie, laughing my ass off, and all these moms are just looking, who is this weird guy in a theater? Yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, but you really loved that movie. I remember movie. that review. Now you you really loved that movie. Um, I did. That's yeah, absolutely hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's terrible. I don't think it's terrible. I just didn't laugh as much as uh, as you did. <laughs> um, what's that called again? The crew. I wish you could. The, I wish you could have seen the movie I saw. Yeah, me too. Actually, me too. <laughs> uh, is it is it called the the Crudes Never Stop Never Stopping? What's the what's the subtitle in on that one? The Crude's a new age. Crude's a new age. That's right. That's what it is. All right. On to uh, my number four. This is where I have the Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, so we can talk about that now, uh, Devon. Yeah, I have the first Amazing Spider-Man here. I I, th- I feel like are these movies finally getting the love they they should have gotten to begin with? Is that is that what's happening now? I feel like since you know I mean, the, the Spidey's I feel like all everyone united. Is always, I feel like everyone's always been pretty on board with the first one. It's the second one that people yeah. have uh, have been uh, back and forth on. But I feel like it, most people are agreed that this first one is like super solid and just uh, mm-hmm. Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield's chemistry. I mean, that's it. Like, I mean, it is uh, one of the best 
on-screen uh, chemistries um, in a comic book film for me as far as like two love interests go. Um, mm-hmm. They are just so really great and believable and uh, obviously they like went on to like date afterwards but uh, I think she's, uh, she's just really great. She's really solid as you know bringing uh, some personality to Gwen Stacy and uh, you know she's a smart cookie. She She's useful throughout the movie. She does things uh, and she you know and looks great blonde. So I mean yeah love her in this one yeah yeah she's great in it the the movie is really good um i i'm one of those weird people that feels like maybe we haven't had a bad spider-man movie like they've all been really fun in their own ways and maybe it's just because i like the character so much but i really love andrew garfield as spider-man and uh and like you said uh the relationship with emma stone uh is really really good in those um all right let's move on to our number threes what do you got devon uh, number three, I have uh, Birdman or the Unexpected Virtue Travels. I forget the sub quote for that one. <laughs> uh, Andrew's going to trump that one. Andrew, what do you got at number three? Crazy Stupid Love. Hmm. Good choice. I don't think anybody's trumping you there. So go ahead and talk about uh, CSL. Probably one of my favorite rom-coms. It's just absolutely great stacked cast mm-hmm. too you have steve carell ryan gosling julianne moore obviously emma stone uh yeah just kevin bacon it's it's a great it's a great movie it's one of i'd never thought that i'd be a rom-com guy but if they start making more rom-coms like this one who knows you might see a new Andrew if they start making more rom-coms like this. I haven't watched it in a while, but I, I do know, uh, I do remember really, really enjoying it and really, really enjoying the performances uh, and hanging out with the, the people in the movie. Um, it's, that's, that, those are a lot of easy hangs for actors. You know what I mean? Like you, you say those names, oh, yeah. it's just like, yeah, I'll hang out for a couple hours with these people and, and watch what they do. So um, mm. That was so, an yeah. honorable mention for me because it's a, it's a yeah. really really great ensemble piece and people you know love to debate do you love emma and andrew or do you love emma and ryan and this is mm, where uh, yeah. uh you know they got they and they have a few more credits together so yeah maybe the answer yeah. is we all just love emma maybe that's the exactly. answer maybe maybe yes. the answer maybe maybe there's a common denominator here uh my number three might surprise some i have cruella at number three um mm. i love this movie i think emma stone takes this movie that should have been nothing and makes it a very special something i think she's incredible in it and uh, i had a lot of fun with it i laughed a lot and really enjoyed kind of the texture of what they're doing with that character i thought the costume design in that movie was absolutely uh, astonishing um i I had a lot of fun with cruella so uh, i had up here on my list at number three um all right on to our number twos Devon, what's your number two? Oh, sorry. I had my mic mute. Uh, number two, uh, Easy A. I'm assuming this is going to be on someone uh, else's. I also have it at number two, and uh, Andrew already mentioned it at number five. For number five. Number five. So all, on all three of our lists, Andrew had it at number five. Uh, Devon, go ahead and talk about Easy A a little bit. Yeah, so Easy A. I mean, this is kind of the thing that put her on the map. This is where we got our first early dosage of uh of emma stone's charisma uh this like ultra charisma that she has and she's super funny uh she doesn't do like as much straight comedies anymore but then like every time she goes on snl it's like god damn this she is so funny um and easy a is i think it holds up super well as a 
uh, high school coming of age, raunchy, uh, teen movie. Um, some of the best, uh, uh, my, uh, favorite Stanley Tucci performance also in this film. Uh, but yeah, I, I can't get mm. enough of EZA. Every time I watch it, I laugh and have a great time. Like every single time holds up super well. I agree. And you mentioned Stanley Tucci. Um, I, I think, uh, Patricia Clarkson and Stanley Tucci together are just like it's the best mom and dad yeah, like every, everybody watches this and, and just goes oh hi mom and dad can i can i have you mom and dad can you be my mom and dad uh yeah they're just they're they're so great in this parent goals um, parent goals <laughs> yeah. uh but yeah it's it's really well done it's very interesting it's more nuanced than you would think um it, it goes to some places uh and uh i really really enjoy it so yeah, easy A is great. Andrew, did you have a few words you wanted to say as well? Uh, no, you guys, you hit the nail on the head. It's uh, surprisingly funny for, uh, I mean, for a movie that has so much to say, it's surprisingly funny. That is easy A at number two for me, two for Devon, and five for Andrew. Uh, let's go to our number ones. Devon, what do you got at number one? I mean, yeah, might be recency bias, but I, I got to put poor things at number one. Um this film ah. obviously we just talked about fantastic but like i think this is just one of those this is one of those once in a lifetime type of performances like i you know it stands above so many others and so very distinct the film does you know you know the the film is powered by this performance you know without uh, emma stone being willing to do the things that she does in this and being able to do uh, such a range of emotions physicality you know fearlessness like i mean she really just gets to do it all in this film and like uh you know and she's still so young so it's like you know crazy to think about what we could still get from her but like honestly i feel like you know in 20 years we're gonna look back and like this is still gonna be kind of one of her top you know you know uh best representative of like what emma stone is capable of yeah, I think if we generally, uh, Andrew and I, I should say, generally don't put uh, movies we're talking about on the show on these lists, but if I did, I probably would have had it at number three, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think it's one of her her best films for sure. Um, Andrew, what's your number one? Birdman. Nice. Yep. It's, uh, I, I mean, it's a one, quote unquote, one shot movie. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can't believe that uh, Alejandro and Iñárritu. I, I pray I'm saying that right, <laughs> or I pray I say that right. Um, yeah, one of my favorite directors. You look at his work, you get beautiful The Revenant. Uh, I don't know if you guys like Babel as much as I do, but I think Babel is a no one loves Babel as much as you do, film. Andrew. No one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If only that were true. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but no, no, I think that a Birdman, uh, Michael Keaton gives a, a career best here. A lot of people would say Spotlight, but I think that Birdman is where you see him at his absolute best. Mm. Morbius would be my answer. <laughs> mm. uh, I keep forgetting about Morbius. Oh, man. But yeah, I had this at number three. Um, I wouldn't say this is like one of Emma's best performances. Uh, this kind of was more on this is one of the best films that she's been in, um, though she is mm-hmm. really good in this. I mean, she you know, was still nominated for an Oscar for it, and she's still really good in it and very important for the film. But like, yeah, the uh, performances uh, between uh, Keaton and uh, uh, 
ed norton are just uh you know so oh. good and so 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 good uh out of this world i w- i totally agree michael keaton is way better in this than he is in spotlight um and i just yeah uh, I, i've seen a lot of uh apparently uh, there's a lot of birdman haters uh on the internet these days and i was like wait when did we start hating birdman i thought we all agreed that this was dope <laughs> this is a dope movie i thought we agreed on, on this so um uh, yeah i love birdman uh, it came out like a week or two before uh, Whiplash. Yeah. And I just remember back to back watching those two movies. I'm like, is this the highlight of <laughs> cinema? Like, we, is this it? Have we arrived? Uh, <laughs> I don't like it as much as you guys, but I still do love this movie. In fact, it's my uh, number one honorable mention um, uh, and is is definitely incredible filmmaking and some really great performances uh, as well. So, yeah, Birdman's great. Uh, well, I get to be the only one to mention La La Land. Uh, it is easily my what favorite. Is my number two. What's that? It was my number two. It was? Yeah, you just skipped over me, but it was all good. Oh, interesting. Um, I'm sorry. I knew you were going to trump it anyway, so that's why I didn't say anything. <laughs> I didn't realize it. Oh, I skipped it because I thought my number two was done because it was the same as Devon's number two. Mm. Andrew, what's yeah. your number two? Oh, you want to just trump what's, me. Uh, what's your number two? Uh, it's La La Land. <laughs> there you go. Uh, my Aaron, number one, what's your number one? My number one is La La Land. <laughs> Hey. <laughs> it is Andrew's number two, which I knew the whole time. Uh, and yes. it is uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. It is in my top 50. Uh, I uh, am a, I'm just in the tank for Damien Chazelle at this point. I just think he's an incredible filmmaker. I'm astonished by the work that he does. Uh, and that is true. You mentioned Whiplash and now we're mentioning La La Land. Uh, I, I just think he's, he's incredible at what he does. And, uh, I think that Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone are incredible in this as much as they aren't, you know, uh, professional dancers or singers. I think they are great dancers and singers in this. I think they acquit themselves very, very well and is some of the best, most memorable music, um, in a musical in a long time. And it really does feel like both an, uh, homage to old school musicals like singing in the rain and also a um uh, it has a modern feel as well it, it definitely feels modern uh in a lot of ways too so yeah i i really dig la la land and uh and the ending is the best part not the worst part uh just that's a shout out to anybody who <laughs> someone on in australia right now his head just exploded <laughs> i mean yeah i i love la la land it was a it was definitely gonna be an honorable mention uh and i i agree like i mean the ending is great because like yeah mia sucks but that's okay she's supposed to kind of suck they both kind of suck mm-hmm. uh they you know it's, yeah. it's, it's a it's a messy complicated uh movie and uh I, I enjoy it uh quite a bit i think she's fantastic and um uh speaking of dancing another honorable mention because it's also not a movie uh the music video for anna uh by will butler of arcade fire it's like a uh like six minute short film uh, music video of Emma Stone dancing through a boat. Uh, it is uh, super great. So check that out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think without the ending, it's not a Damien Chazelle film. I mean, he, he is always asking the question in all four movies that he's made. Ask the question, is it worth it? They, they all ask the question, is the passion, is the dedication, is the, the cost worth this beauty? this beautiful thing, this wonder, this amazingness, is it worth the cost of what it took to get here? And Whiplash asks that question. La La Land asks that question. 
Um, first, man. first man asks that question and Babylon asks that question. Like it's his primary driver as a creative, it seems like. And I just, I love it. Um, so yeah, La La Land is my number one. Uh, get it. honorable mentions, Andrew, did you get, uh, some thoughts from the, the gurus? Oh, you know, I did. All right. So the top three from the gurus coming in at number three, we have a tie actually with nine points tied. We have easy a and super bad. Mm, we, none of us mentioned super bad yet. Nope. Number two with 12 points, we have crazy, stupid love. Okay. And at number one with 25 points coming in, just making everybody else feel bad is La La Land. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I would also mention the only one that hasn't been mentioned that was in my honorable mentions is The House Bunny, uh, which I have a, a soft uh, place in my heart for. I actually think that's a pretty funny movie. Um, so uh, I would mention that. Did you guys have any other honorable mentions that you wanted to throw out there? Uh, Zombieland. Uh, I think that's whenever sure. I like truly developed my crush on her. It would because I can't remember if that came out before Easy A. Yeah, it came out before Easy A. So that was actually the the impetus of my crush on Emma Stone was uh, in Zombieland. Yeah. Mm. Andrew, did you have any others you wanted to mention? Uh, Easy A was when I got a crush on uh, Emma Stone. So. Yep. Whenever the <laughs> whenever the first time I saw Emma Stone was the was when I had a crush on Emma Stone. She's yeah. imminently crushable. Uh, yes. All right, let's move into the buried treasure. What's that one thing in any area of pop culture that you want to make sure people know about it? Devon, you're our guest, so you will go last. Um, I'll kick us off. Uh, I want to keep it on the Emma Stone vibe. Uh, have we talked about the curse on the show yet? I don't think we've talked about the curse. Uh, this is on Paramount Plus. Technically, it's a Showtime show, uh, or so Showtime on Paramount Plus, whatever. This is Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie uh, coming together to do this show, and they both star in the show as well, with Emma Stone. And this is a weird show. This, is, this feels like a show that only Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie could have brought to us. Uh, this there, I'm not, again, I'm, I think two episodes away from the, the, the show's first season being done at this point. So like I'm eight episodes in all I know is I cannot wait to, to watch each next episode because I cannot wait to see what these characters, what awkward situations, you know, what kind of cringe is about to happen uh through the choices that they're making um i think emma stone is as always amazing in this and i think some of the things it's saying uh about culture and representation and some of the same themes from american fiction that we talked about with white guilt and different things that you know uh, white people do that they think they're being you know uh considerate but they're actually part of the problem like there's a lot of that going on here too uh, so yeah, I think the curse is, is well worth a watch, uh, if you have a chance to check it out. Have either of you guys checked out any of the curse? I have not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never, I, I, I'm not big on board on like Nathan Fielder's whole thing. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. So, so I have not watched it yet, but because of Emma, I'm like, Ooh, I should check it out. So I think I will. Yeah. I think it's different enough that you might find a way in because it's definitely a, uh, an, it's a narrative piece. It's a dramatic piece. It's not, you know, um, uh, faux documentarianism that, you yeah. know, the kind of stuff he's done before. So, um, so yeah, you might enjoy it. Can't guarantee it. Cause he's still Nathan Fielder. He is Nathan <laughs> Fielder. Um, so that does not change. Um, but yeah, that is my buried treasure. Andrew, what do you got? I'm excited for Emma Stone and Safdie working together. Mm-hmm. That's really what intrigued me. Yep. 
Um, let me know, Aaron, if this movie is going to be one we'll ever review, and mm. if it is, I have a backup. So, my my possible buried treasure for this week is the Iron Claw. I don't think we'll put it on a main review. Let's go ahead and talk about it now. I don't think that will sneak into a main review, so it'd be good to talk about. Yeah, what did you think of the Iron Claw? Absolutely loved it. Truly loved it. Um, I, I grew up watching wrestling and stuff, and I'd never watched them live. They were a little bit before my time, but I'd seen them on uh, reruns and stuff. Uh, they were uh, very famous, obviously, for the torture and torment that plagued and cursed this family. Uh, so so much so that it, apparently it must not even be believable because they cut out several brothers from this movie like that actually existed that met some of the same fates that these brothers did. So maybe they just didn't think it would be believable that so much torment could happen to one family, but it did. And I got to tell you, some of these performances, Zac Efron is almost unrecognizable in this movie. Very good performance. But I think Jeremy Allen White is the one who I'm going to like hang my hat on mm-hmm. and go like this guy in the future. I'm going to keep my eye on you because an Oscar is coming for you one day. Yeah. Yeah. He's so great in the bear and uh, it's great to see him in this as well. It is quite a transformation. Uh, the first moment Zach Efron is on screen in this movie, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> is this CG? What is going on here? Like, yeah. He, he got himself a professional wrestler's body and uh, it must yeah. have had like, uh, like um, Willem Dafoe attach his head to a wrestler's <laughs> body or something. Cause it's, it's something like it's that. Amazing. Uh, um, it's it's weird because uh, in the movie it gives you like I don't my one thing I don't like about the movie is it gives you the stats on the Von Erichs like mm. Kevin Von Erich six foot four played by Zach Efron famously a short man <laughs> you know yeah. so that's like my one like part of the movie that actually got a couple giggles out of me. I'm like, you cast so many short people because Jeremy Allen White is also a very short man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, no, the movie, I absolutely loved it. Yeah. I, it's, it's, I haven't it's, had my heart trauma. broken by it yet. Yeah. I was going to say it's a trauma movie. Oh. It is, it is, it is one where sure. you're, you're in for some pain. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean it's not worth it. And, uh, and I, I really loved it as well. I thought it was really well done. I can't uh, wait. Devon, hit us, hit us with it. Uh, what is your uh, buried treasure? All right. Uh, For my buried treasure, to keep in the theme of different areas of pop culture, um, uh, most people know I'm a horror guy. I'm also a big anime guy. And um, if if you're in the anime world, then you already know what is being talked about. Season two of Jujutsu Kaisen just wrapped up. Uh, Mm. Jujutsu Kaisen, very new anime that has kind of, you know... uh, jumped onto the scene and is uh you know kind of very popular right now uh and and it's it's fantastic and i want to make sure i shout out because like i think it's also uh not only for you know diehard anime fans i think this is like if you've ever been curious and want to get into anime i think this is a really nice introductory piece uh because it it's uh it's from a fairly young writer and he takes a lot of influences like from you know certain uh bigger anime series and he's like not shy about it so it's like you see a lot of like the hallmarks and pillars of certain anime things but then he then still twists them uh in his own way as well so it's a a fun uh fun show it's about people that uh battle uh cursed uh cursed spirits and demons 
and uh they have this uh magical abilities called uh a jujutsu where they use like uh curse techniques and things uh so very action heavy uh it's very dark it has uh, some horror elements as well as very graphic and bloody at times and uh it's a it's a fantastic and it also has a fantastic dub too so if you're also an anime person that doesn't like watching uh japanese subs uh it has a very good english dub for it so this is a, a great show if uh, you've ever wanted to get into anime uh now's a good time because it just uh wrapped up the second season third season will be out in the spring so uh jujutsu kaisen check it out uh i believe that's on crunchyroll heartedly endorse it is that on crunchyroll or where can someone yes watch it that? is okay yep. all right both cool. seasons well, and is- the prequel film are on crunchyroll Oh, nice. Uh, Jujutsu Kaisen on Crunchyroll. The Iron Claw, I think, is still in theaters. Uh, and yeah. The Curse is on Showtime on Paramount+. Plus. Well, we did it, guys. We managed to do a podcast. Ooh. Congratulations yeah, to uh, mm-hmm. everybody today on the podcasting. Thank you so much for joining us. If Pop is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network, you can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Andrew for hanging out again today. Thank you, buddy. Big thanks to producer Phil for producing the audio and video show. Thanks, Phil. Much love and gratitude to our Sif Pop members for giving monthly to make Sif Pop a real thing. And thank you to Devon for coming by again Woo. today uh, at Woo-woo. underscore Daddy Disco. Where can people find you online? Where do you want to send them? Oh, yes. Thank you for having me back. It was always a pleasure talking to you fine Missouri gentlemen. Um, you know, get my little taste of home. Um, mm-hmm. You can uh, yeah. you can uh, hear, I do lots of podcasting things. Uh, Spectre Cinema Club is my main baby where we uh, go through the subgenres of horror. We pick a different one every month. Uh, right now, we are in the best of 2023 before we head into erotic thrillers for February. Uh, so very excited for that. Um, I'm also a panelist on the Pod and Pendulum podcast where we go through horror franchises like in order. So we're in the middle of the Universal Frankenstein run. And uh, and then uh, coming next month, have a uh, Courage the Cowardly Dog podcast coming. Uh, so that'll be brand spanking oh. new. Uh, very excited uh, to share that with you guys. So uh, you can find me at uh, underscore Daddy Disco and at Spectre Cinema. Very nice. Well, we appreciate you, Devon. Always good to have you on the show. Feel free to email and demand to be on other shows <laughs> as well. Uh, we will make it happen because we love it when you're here. Lots of ways to connect with the podcast as well. You can comment or rate it or leave a review. You can do that wherever you listen, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever. If you want to email us any feedback, that can come to feedback at sifpop.com. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like the show too, so make sure you let them know about it and that listening is much easier than attaching a pig's head to a chicken's body. We'll be back next week with an annual with my annual ballot episode for the Critics' Choice Awards. Uh, I'll be heading to Los Angeles to take in the awards, and I've got my ballot came in the mail, so I'll go over the ballot and make my picks. Uh, we did that for the first time last year, and uh, everybody seemed to enjoy it. So we'll do that again, and uh, I'll catch you then. Bye. Bye.